Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Welcome, Jesus 911. The octave of the Easter season as Catholics. We celebrate Easter for eight days because it's, a, I mean, Easter, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas and Easter as well, by the way, both. <laughs> yeah. Because those events are so, so impacted with uh, Christological salvation history. That's everything for us. The incarnation and the resurrection, that is our salvation there. And so as Catholics, we celebrate for eight days. I also want to recognize that today is also the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Uh, today we commemorate the death of all the male children in Bethlehem who were two years of age and under when King Herod the Great had ordered this massacre of all the baby male, Jewish males under two years of age in order to ensure that he would probably kill the Messiah, which was being sought by, uh, by the Magi, uh, because King Herod was uh, afraid that the Messiah was going to displace him and his throne. And so this is why St. Joseph was told in a dream to take the child and the Blessed Virgin Mary and flee to Egypt to escape the persecution of King Herod. King Herod was a type of, uh, a type of Antichrist. And uh, it's interesting that our Lord, the Holy Family, was taken to Cairo, Egypt. And uh, the place where they uh, lived for, for several months in Cairo, Egypt, it's, now a, it's, it's a chapel now. It's a, cha it's a Catholic chapel. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Hey, Paul, a lot to talk about today. Um, if anybody wants to know the absolute best theologian when it comes to all things tradition Catholicism, look no further than my friend, um, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. In fact, he works for Scott Hahn. He works for the St. Paul's Center for uh, a, a Biblical Studies. But he, work, he's, he works on the section on traditional uh, research and articles on an academic level. This guy's a sh uh, this guy's an absolute academic. And uh, any question I have when it comes to the traditional Catholic faith, I just text him, and he texts me right back. So I get I get immediate responses on anything that I want from this guy. He's an absolute encyclopedia. <coughs> he writes, it's called "Lessons from Church History: A Brief Review of Papal Lapses." Paul, and I think the reason he wrote this is because there's a lot of papal auditors out there. And I was one of them, so I, I plead guilty. Probably about 25, 30 years ago, I probably fell into that camp as well. I was, a, you know, a papal auditor. I was probably a pope splainer, you know, 25, 30 years ago. I was trying to justify everything that popes did. But, uh, you know, uh, as, as what happened to St. Paul, Acts chapter 9, the scales fell out of his eyes. The scales have fallen out of my eyes as well as I read thoughtful men like him and others. And so we want to share some of the things that he says, Paul. It's, it's a long article. We're not going to read the particular popes because it's just too long. But we'll give you the, the gist of the article. All right, so he talks about there are those in the church who cannot bear to see a pope criticized for any reason. Yeah, I was one of them. As of the, Catholic, as of the whole Catholic faith would come tumbling down, were we to show that a particular successor of Peter was a scoundrel, murderer, fornicator, coward, compromiser, ambiguator, espouser of heresy, or promoter of faulty discipline. But it is quite false 
that the faith would come tumbling down. It is far stronger, stronger, stabler, and sounder than that, because it does not depend on any particular incumbent of the papal office. Rather, it precedes these incumbents, outlasts them, and in fact judges them as to whether they have been good or bad vicars of Christ. The faith is entrusted to the popes as it is to the bishops, but it is not subject to their control. What a, what a great sentence. Wow. The Catholic faith comes to us from God, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. I think me and Paul have been saying that for weeks and months now. It's immovable cornerstone. It's permanent guarantee of truth and holiness. Number one, the content of that faith is not determined by the Pope. It is determined by Christ and handed down in sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and and the magisterium. With the magisterium understood not as anything and everything that emanates from bishops or popes, but as the cumulative, public, official, definitive, and universal teaching of the church enshrined in dogmatic canons and decrees, anathemas, bulls, and cyclicals, and other instruments of teaching in harmony with the foregoing. One serious problem that faces us is a papalism that blinds Catholics to the reality that popes are peccable and fallible, by the way, like King David, (laughs) Um, human beings like the rest of us, and that their pronouncements are guaranteed to be free from error only under strict delimited conditions, which are... Yeah. I just wanted to make a quick comment. It's almost the same as when the Holy Spirit, uh, being the principal author of sacred scripture, mm-hmm. he 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 accomplished that that wonderful act to give us God breathed scripture through very fallible men. Yes, you know they weren't always fallible in their lives, uh, but when they, you know, wrote sacred scripture, it was fallible. And so this is the same way it is with the popes. You or know? it was infallible. It was infallible when they wrote it. Uh, yes, 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 yes. It was infallible. Excuse me. Yeah. So, so this infallible. Good analogy. Is, Great analogy. Yeah. Okay. So I just that just came to my mind. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway. God God wrote infallible scripture with fallible men. Yes, using their own idiosyncrasies, their own. These men were. Even even when the disciples are depicted in sacred scripture, they are depicted with all their flaw, all their flaws, Jess, in living color. Uh, they are fallible men, clearly from beginning to end, and the Bible doesn't, you know, gloss over that. And that's one of the things that makes the Bible uh, historically accurate is that it doesn't yes. cover up the sins of these fallible men, as maybe some other conspiratorial work would do. Say, okay, well, we're going to try to push push some type of ideology we want to make sure that all of our uh, protagonists are are sinless well no the, the bible shows in full living color the mortal sins and venial sins of all these men from uh from adam all the way down to salvation history mm-hmm. yeah so it says uh, dr skwasniski writes apart from that the realm of papal ignorance error sin and disastrous prudential governance is is broad and deep 
although secular history affords no catalog of greatness comparable to the nearly 100 papal saints and plenty of worse examples than the worst popes, which says a lot about man's fallen condition. So all Peter saying, we've got some holy saints and we've got some bad popes, just like uh, all of human history, bad presidents, bad prime ministers. Hairs among the wheat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Go do the next paragraph, Paul. It says at a time when yeah. Catholics. At a time when Catholics are confused about whether and how a pope can go wrong, it seems useful to compile examples in three categories. Number one, times when the popes were guilty of grave personal immorality. Number two, times when popes connived at or with heresy or were guilty of harmful silence or ambiguity in regard to heresy. Number three, times when popes taught, albeit not ex cathedra, something heretical, savoring of heresy or harmful to the faithful. Not everyone may agree that every item listed is in fact a full-blooded example of the category in question, but that is beside the point. The fact that there are a number of problematic instances is sufficient to show that popes are not automatic oracles of God who hand down only what is good, right, holy, and laudable. If, if that last statement seems like a caricature, one need only look at how conservative Catholics today are bending over backward to get lemon aid out of every lemon offered by Pope Francis and denying with vehemence that Roman lemons could ever be rotten or poisonous. <laughs> so true. Um, this, sadly, is an easy category to fill, and it need not detain as, uh, as much. One might take as example six figures about whom E.R. Chamberlain wrote his book, The Bad Popes, Pope Number One, John the Twelfth. And he was from 955 to 964. He gave land to a mistress, murdered several people, and was killed by a man who caught him in bed with a man's wife. Oh, God. Scandalous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pope Benedict the Ninth. Uh, He's like 1032 to 1044, 1045 to 1047 to 1048. Managed to be Pope three times, having sold the office off and brought it back again. Sounds like for a mess of porridge, Jess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Urban the Sixth. Yeah. Urban the Sixth. He complained that he did not hear enough screaming when cardinals who had conspired against him were tortured. Alexander the sixth. He bribed his way to the throne. What year? What year was he? What, what year? Oh, he was 1492 to 1503. He bribed his way to the throne and bent all of all of his efforts to the advancement of his illegitimate children, such hold, as hold that thought there. Jesus yeah. We'll be right back. Stick around. Yeah, we're trying to uh to share uh the truth about papal peccability in Pope's sin. Of course they could. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Welcome back to Jesus 911. I'm here with Jess Romero, and we are going through Peter Kwasnowski's uh, article on... Well-documented, uh, well-documented. Yeah, yeah. Worth on, reading. On popes that, that, that measured up less during history but jess uh before we dig back in that article yeah i just thought we should mention that on christmas day over 200 200 people were massacred in africa by the islamic um i guess Boko you could Haram. call them just yeah terrorists basically yeah, terrorists um, i think they were catholic brothers paul i think they're i think there were catholics that were slaughtered yes well catholics are christians i, I yeah, thought yeah yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah no yeah yeah but yeah. But they specifically went after Catholics in the Catholic Church. Of course, of course, of course. And we know why that is. But Jess, I just wanted to take, have the audience take time. Let's say a Hail Mary for those Absolutely. Who, yes. who, who lost their lives. Yeah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, grace the Lord is with thee. Blessed, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Have mercy on them, Lord. Have mercy. Yes. Yes. Eternal rest grant unto <sighs> them, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon them. May their souls and all the souls of the faithful departed through your mercy rest in peace. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Jess. Um, Back to the article. <laughs> I'm, yeah. getting, I'm going through a history lesson here. Yeah, yeah. So we were. You're, uh, you're at Alexander the Sixth and some of his uh, peccadillos. Yeah. Yes, yes. He bribed his way to the throne and bent all of his efforts to the advancement of his illegitimate children, such as Lucrezia, whom at one point he made regent of the papal states in Caesarea. He uh, admi uh, admired by uh, Machiavelli. For his bloody ruthless ruthlessness, wow, <laughs> wow! Uh, in his reign, debauchery reached an unequaled nadir. For a certain banquet, Alexander the Sixth brought in fifty Roman prostitutes to engage in a public orgy for the viewing of pleasure, for the viewing pleasure of invited guests, such as. Uh, such was the scandal of his pontificate that his clergy refused to bury him in St. Peter's after his death. Now, just this man was a tyrant. He was a straight tyrant. I think he would make, uh, Ow, you man. know, many, many, many wicked popes blush. Paul, I don't know. I don't know that this list that we have here uh, at their exit interview. Boy, oh, boy, I hope they, they had a full blown, a full throat of repentance because if you look at their bio, it doesn't look good for them. Who's next? Yeah, it's uh, Leo X, 1513 to 1521. Was a prolificate Medici who once spent a seventh of his predecessor's reserves on a single ceremony. To his credit, he published the papal bull Exerge Domine, uh, against the errors of Martin Luther, within which he condemned, among others, the proposition that heretics he burned is against the will of the spirit. B 
be burned. Okay, one more time. That heretics be burned is against the will of the spirit. Clement the seventh, 1523 to 1534, uh, by his power politicking with France, Spain, and Germany, managed to get Rome sacked. There are others one could mention. Jess. I'll go Stephen the seventh, 896 to 897, hated his predecessor, Pope Formosus, so much that he had him exhumed, tried, defingered, and thrown in the Tiber River while falsely declaring ordinations given at his hands to have been invalid. Wow. Had, his, had this ill-advised declaration stood, it would have affected the spiritual lives of many since the priests would have not, would have not been confecting the Eucharist or absolving sins. Yeah, and Stephen VII, he, he took a baseball bat and he put Pope Formosus on a throne, his corpse, and he beat him with a baseball bat. Then he threw his body into the Tiber River. Didn't even bury him again. Pius wow. II, 1458-1464, penned an erotic novel before he came, became Pope. Huh. I guess uh, Cardinal Fernandez could become Pope too because he penned a, an erotic novel called The Art of Kissing. Innocent VIII, 1484-1492, was the first Pope to acknowledge officially his bastards, loading them with favors. These are illegitimate children born out of adultery or fornication. Paul III, 1534-1549, who owed his cardinalate to a sister, the mistress of Alexander VI, and himself, the father of bastards, made two grandsons cardinals at the ages of 14 and 16 and waged war to obtain the duchy of Parma for his offspring. Wow. Urban VIII, wow. 1623-1644, engaged in abundant nepotism, that means selling off offices to his family, and supported the castration of boys so they could sing in his papal choir as the, they're called the castrati. Cardinals denounced him and Cardinal Ludovsi actually threatening to depose him as a protector of heresy. So there are debates about the extent of the wrongdoing of some of these popes, but even with all the allowances made, we must admit that there is a papal hall of shame. And now here's my comment. I submit to you, Paul, that Pope Francis will enter this, this papal hall of shame at the rate he's going. <laughs> That, that's well, my opinion. That's not the article that I said that now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I share that opinion, Jess, um, unless he repents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 right now, his track record shows clearly that he is a man he doubles, of the he left. doubles down. Yeah, he doubles down. He's a, he, he's a man of the left. Uh, quite simply, he's a man of the left. Yes. God, God, have mercy on him. God, help him yes. to make Amen. good decisions. But Jess, all of these names throughout history show you that God truly does give man free will. Uh, these men, even though they were occupying the highest places in the church, the highest place that one could go, God still in his permissive will allowed it. And it goes back to what I always say. Why does God allow evil? And these men did evil acts in order to bring about a greater good. God is able to take, you know, what Satan means for evil. And he's, he, you know, he can turn it around for good. And Jess, you always mention 
God gives us the leaders we deserve. So um, the church has a long history, as you can see, of, 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 of men who have ascended to the heights of, of as, as far as you can go within the church. And they have really tarnished the office. Yeah. And, and also something interesting here, because I remember years ago when I wrote a paper on Luther, like 25 years ago, uh, did, a lot of what Luther, Martin Luther saw, he was a Catholic priest. He lived under a lot of these bad popes. He saw them one after another. And so Luther was scandalized. And he was also scandalized with his, with his own demons, you know, with the fact that, you know what, man, if these popes could live such scandalous lives, do I stand a chance to get to heaven? So he became very scrupulous about his, his salvation. And that's why, you know, he, he, he reinvented his, his doctrine of salvation, soteriology, justification by faith alone, because he did see a lot of, uh, he did see a lot of bad examples, hypocrites that had risen to the highest office. And so in yeah. part, that's one of the things that impelled Luther uh, to do what he did, not justifying his actions. He should have fought within the church, just like all the other authentic reformers like St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, St. Francis of Assisi. They fought the, the modernists and the heretics, and they stood within the church. Luther's problem is that he went across the street, built his own church, and started trying to fight these people uh, you know, setting up his own institution. That's where he went wrong. Yeah, yeah, and 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 basically introducing false doctrine. You know, this. Uh, you know, salvation by faith alone. Uh, you know, we can go on with with that stuff, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Luther. You know, he was he saw the the you know he saw the problems with the church, but he didn't see the problems with himself. <laughs> You know, let me. Paul, I think this is something that I think it'll help help people out. Just deal with what we're dealing with right now. Mo, like for example, this information that we just put out. Most Catholics didn't know this prior to mm -hmm. the invention of the internet, where we can access in information immediately. Like right now, you and me can access it right now. So we know the details about some of these scandalous popes. Most yep. people living at the time didn't have an internet. They didn't have Telegram or Signal or Instagram or X or Facebook. So they weren't able to know the scandals that were going on in the Vatican with a lot of these popes. You know what they did? They were simple people that went to Holy Mass on Sunday, went to the Latin Mass or the Eastern Masses. They had, uh, they, 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 they kept the devotions of the church. They kept the prayers and fasting. They kept, they kept the ember days. And they, all they did was work on their interior life and the relationship with God. They, they didn't really care about what was happening in Rome. They didn't know because they didn't have access to this information like we have now. Like right now, the Pope says something, immediately it comes into your, your news feed on your phone and your iPhone. Most Catholics, except for the last 20 years, we didn't know. Any, in fact, most Catholics didn't even know who the Pope was. Eighth, seventh, sixth, fifth. You could ask a Catholic in Poland, Austria, Germany. Who's the Pope right now? They'll say, I don't know. I know this. I'm a Catholic. And I go to Mass on Sunday and receive the Eucharist, and that's Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and I pray my rosary every day. That, that, they knew that much. And I fast on Friday. I do penance on Friday. Catholics, for it, what I'm saying is we have to keep our life simple. We're not here 
to micromanage the Pope. It's not my job. It's not Paul's job. <clears throat> I'm here to get to heaven and get my progeny to heaven, my offspring. And so uh, the fact is we do have more information about the Pope now because we have the Internet. But, uh, uh, but remember, as Catholics, keep it simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's evangelize people and promote the social reign of Christ the King. That's who he is. He's our king. And, and let's keep to the devotions of the church, the days of fasting, the days of penance, daily rosary, uh, you know, praying the monastic times of the day, 6 a.m., 12 noon, 6 p.m. Uh, read your Bible. We have an advantage now because of the printing press. Most Catholics didn't have an advantage before 1438. We do now. You can mm. read the Holy Scriptures. You can read the daily Mass readings after 1439. Mm. And so as Catholics, whatever is going on in Rome, you know what? God's going to deal with him. And God's going to deal with every single Pope on this list. Let's, let's simplify our lives, especially us that are the priests of the home, head of household, patriarchs of the home, and let's work on our own interior life to become as holy as possible and get our wife and our kids and our grandkids to heaven. Wow, well said, Jess. Well said. All right, hard break. We'll be right back. We'll continue talking about uh, the history of the popes with uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski's article. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. We're back, Slow Patrol. Two man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. We're talking about it's the history of the Post, Dr. Peter Krasniewski. And again, he's just uh, showing us that popes are not uh, impeccable. They're sinners like yeah. we are. We got to pray for them. Paul, comments? Yeah. Yeah, Jess. Uh, I thought what you said right before the break was excellent and, and such good advice. It's so easy for us to get distracted and to focus on things that we have no control over. We have sacred scripture tells us that we should work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. You know, the minute we take our eyes and focus on again things that we have no control over, like us, us any certain pope and what they did, we run the risk of being scandalized. And once we're scandalized, it affects us. And Jesus clearly says in scripture, Jess, those that seek me will find me. We need to just stick to what we know to be true. The perennial teachings of the church are there to aid us and assist us. Holy Mother Church is there to help us to achieve our end, which ultimately is the beatific vision. But Holy Mother Church, you know, sometimes because of the human element fails us, but it doesn't fail us overall. Just the humans in the, the individuals fail. And if you focus on them, uh, you're missing out because the church is so much bigger than any one person, Jess. It is far beyond that. And you see that right now when, when, when we see things that are coming down from Rome that are not consistent with the perennial teachings of the faith, you see bishops lining up to speak against it the all over the world can... all over the world yeah. i've yeah. never seen i've never seen this hue and cry in my life i'm sick you know yeah. my early 60s yeah. i've never seen right. this pushback in my entire life right. against the pope right and so this should give everybody a little bit of 
um, uh, you know, uh, understanding that, listen, if you have so many good bishops that are speaking out against this, then it shows you that just because a man occupies a seat doesn't mean he is, as you say, just impeccable. He is fully capable of sin just as much as Judas was. And our Lord, he said, did I not choose the 12 of you? Yet yeah, one of you is a devil. Mm-hmm. Paul, yep. I want to show, I want to go back to the very first Pope to show, uh, to show again, the fact that uh, the Pope's are, they're not impeccable. Okay. Okay. They're, Okay. The first Pope here, Peter, uh, Dr. Kuznowski has, he says, Pope St. Peter died 64 AD. And the, the section is called Popes who connived that heresy or were guilty of harmful silence or ambiguity. He says, it may seem daring to begin with St. Peter, but after all, he did shamefully compromise on the application of an article of faith vis-a-vis the equality of Jewish and Gentile Christians and the abolition of the Jewish ceremonial law. A lapse for which he was rebuked to his face by St. Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And by the way, St. Paul was a subordinate. And St. Paul understood that because St. Paul even says that I went to Jerusalem to, to, to confirm my doctrine with the elders. So he looked at Peter as the elder, but when he caught Peter in hypocrisy, even as his subordinate, he had to rebuke him. Uh, uh, Dr. Kwasniewski writes, This has been commented on so extensively by the fathers and doctors of the church and by the more recent authors, that it needs no special treatment here. It should be pointed out that, that, that our Lord, in his providence, allowed his first vicar to fail more than once so that we would not be scandalized when it happened again with his successors. This, too, is why he chose Judas, as Paul said, so the treason of bishops would not cause us to lose faith that he remains in command of the church and human history. And yes. again... For anybody who wants to know more about this, read the article. It's on the show page, vmpr.org or jesseromero.com. He talks about Pope Liberius, Pope Vigilius, Pope Honorius I, uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, Pope Paschal II, Pope John XXIII, Pope Paul III, mm. Pope Paul VI, uh, po- yeah, Pope Francis. Uh, I want to pick it up here where he starts talking about the, uh, the Council of Trent. It's uh, right over here where he says... Uh, Melchior, Melchior Cano, an eminent theologian at the Council of Trent, famously said, Now one can say briefly what those do who temerarily and without discrimination defend the Supreme Pontiff's judgment concerning everything whatsoever. These people unsteady the authority of the Apostolic See rather than fostering it. They overturn it rather than shoring it up. For Passing over what was explained a little before in this chapter, what profit does he gain in arguing against heretics whom they perceive as defending papal authority, not with judgment, but with emotion, nor as doing so in order to draw forth light and truth by force of his argument, but in order to convert another to his own thought and will. Peter does not need our lie. He does not mm. need our adulation. Let us mm. return to our point of departure. The Catholic faith is revealed by God, nor can it be modified by any human being. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Yes. The Pope and bishops are honored servants of that revelation. 
which they are to hand down faithfully without novelty and without mutation. That's an interesting word because the document, mm-hmm. supplicans, fiducia supplicans, it actually says in the document that this teaching is novel. Okay? It says it's novel. It's so, like a virus, mutation. Yeah. So Dr. Quinn well? says... It's supposed to come without novelty and without mutation from generation to generation. As St. Vincent of Lorenz so beautifully explains, there can be growth in understanding and formulation, but no contradiction, no evolution. The truths of the faith contained in scripture and tradition are authentically defined, interpreted, and defended in the narrowly circumscribed acta of councils and popes over the centuries. In this sense, it is quite proper to say, look in Denziger. That's the doctrine of, that's a book that it contains all the official doctrines of the faith. Paul, you want to pick it up in the next paragraph? Yes. Catholicism is, has always been, and will always be stable, perennial, objectively knowable, a rock of certitude in a sea of chaos, despite the efforts of Satan and his dupes, dupes to change it. The crisis we are passing through is largely a result of collective amnesia (laughs) of, (laughs) I like that, of who we are and what we, and what we believe together with a nervous tendency toward hero worship, looking here and there for the great leader who will rescue us. But our great leader, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords is Jesus Christ. We follow and obey the Pope and the bishops in as much as they transmit to us the pure and salutary doctrine of our Lord and guide us in following his way of holiness, not when they offer us polluted water to drink or lead us to the muck. I love this. <laughs> so he's a Just, clear writer. He's a clear writer. Yes, yes. Thinker. Yes. Yes, Catholics, listen, just as our Lord was a man like us in all things except sin, so we follow them in all things except sin. Mm. Whether, whether their sin be one of heresy, schism, sexual immorality, or sacrilege, the faithful have a duty to form their minds and their consciences wow. to know whom to follow and when. We Hey, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Just when we hear a pope, a bishop speaking faithfully, transmitting faithfully and clearly the words of Jesus Christ, we instinctively follow because the sheep recognize and know the voice of the shepherd. They know there is safety with the shepherd and the false shepherd, the hireling, when he speaks, the sheep scatter. They say, I do not know this. And, and, and they have, get and, and they get a, confused. There's a gift that we receive through the sacraments, which allows us th- that mechanism to go off. It's called census fidei. That's the sense of the faith, where you yes. know if somebody tells you with a PhD, there are four persons in the Trinity. You could be a high school dropout. Your census fidei is going to kick in. And you're going to say, right. mm, I don't care if you've got a right. PhD from Berkeley. The guy's wrong. We don't, there are enough. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. a protective grace that God gives us through the sacraments. We know when we're hearing uh, bullpucky and we know when we're hearing truth because of that, yes, yes. That, that, that grace that God gives us. Census fidei. 
Census Fide. We are not mechanical puppets, neither are the popes. They are men of flesh and blood with their own intellect and free will. I'll say that again. They are men of flesh and blood with their own intellect and free will and uh, memory and imagination. Yeah. Uh, opinions, aspirations, ambitions, they can cooperate better or worse with the graces and responsibilities of their supreme office. The Pope unquestionably has a singular and unique authority on earth as the vicar of Christ. It follows that he has a moral obligation to use it virtuously for the common good of the church. And it also follows, Jess, that he can not be virtuous and he mm. can act not in the common good of the church mm. and that he can sin, by, he says it, by abusing his authority or by failing to use it when when, or in the, in the manner in which he ought to do so. Infallibility, correctly understood, is the Holy Spirit's gift to him, the right and responsibility and responsible use of his office is not something guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, just the sacred scripture tells us, do not resist the spirit of God. Mm. We can resist the Holy Spirit and not, he is no do, different. Do not quench the Holy Spirit also. Yes, yes, not, yes. Because you can quench the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. Here the Pope must pray and work, work and pray. And we must pray for him, Jess. Yes. Indeed. Like the rest of us. He can rise or fall like the rest of us. Pulse can make Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Jesus 911. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Red meat Catholicism. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888. 526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. Let me give Dr. Kwasniewski the last words here in the last segment. He writes, Popes can make themselves worthy of canonization or of execration. At the end of his mortal pilgrimage, each successor of St. Peter will either attain eternal salvation or suffer eternal damnation. All Christians in like manner will become either saintly by, by following the authentic teaching of the church and repudiating all error and vice or damnable by following spurious teaching and embracing what is false and evil. I can hear an objection from some readers. If a pope can go off the rails and stop teaching the Orthodox faith, then what's the point of having a papacy? Isn't the whole reason we have the vicar of Christ to enable us to know for certain the truth of the faith? The answer is that the Catholic faith pre-exists the popes. Well said. Mm. Even though they occupy a special place vis-a-vis -vis its defense and articulation, this faith can be known with certainty by the faithful through a host of means, including, one might add, five centuries worth of traditional catechisms from all oh. over the world that yep. concur in their teaching. The Pope is not able to say like an absolute monarch. But let's look at numbers for a moment. This article 
has listed 11 immoral popes and 10 popes who have dabbled to one degree or another in heresy. There have been a total of 266 popes. If we do the math, we come out with 4.14% of the successors of Peter who earned opprobrium for their moral behavior and 3.76% who deserve it for their dalliance with error. On the other hand, about 90 of the preconciliar popes are revered as saints or blesseds, which is 33.83%. We could debate about the numbers. Have I been too lenient or too severe in my list? But is there anyone who fails to behold in these numbers the evident hand of divine providence? A monarchy of 266 incumbents lasting for 2,000 years that can boast failure and success rates like this is no mere human construct operating by its own steam. What a great argument. And I think yeah. about the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. Were the va- Something like 90% of them were wicked and about 10% yeah. of them were good. And, so, mm-hmm. and, and that was a God-ordained institution as well. Yeah. And so it, it goes to show you, even the, the, despite the fact that we've had, I don't know, 20 bad posts, according to this list, uh, the vast majority have been good and holy men. Paul, you want to finish up that article? Yeah. These numbers teach us two lessons. First, we learn a sense of wonder and gratitude before the evident miracle of the papacy. We learn trust in a divine providence that guides the Holy Church of God throughout the tempests of ages and makes it outlast even the relatively few bad papacies we have suffered for our testing or for our sins. Second, we learn discernment and realism. On the one hand, the Lord has led the vast majority of his vicars along the way of truth so that we can know that our uh, we can know that our confidence is well placed in the bark in the uh, in the bark of Peter steered by the hand of Peter yet the lord has also permitted a small number of vicars to falter or fail so we will see that they are not automatically righteous effortlessly wise in governance or direct mouthpiece of God in teaching, the popes must freely choose to cooperate with the grace of their office, or they too can go off the rails. They can do a better or worse job of shepherding the flock, and once in a while, they can be wolves. This happens rarely, but it does happen by God's permissive will, precisely so that we do not abdicate our reason, outsource our faith, and sleepwalk into ruin. The papal record is remarkable enough to testify to a well-nigh miraculous other otherworldly power holding at bay the forces of darkness lest the gates of hell prevail. But the record is speckled just enough to make us wary, keep us on our toes. The advice, be sober, be vigilant, be vigilant applies not only... Vigilant, vigilant. Yeah. Yeah, excuse me, be vigilant applies not only to interactions with the world out there, but to our life in the church. For our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. From the lowly pew sitter to the lofty hierarch, our teacher 
our model, our doctrine, our way of life, these are all given to us gloriously manifested in the incarnate word inscribed in the fleshly tablets of our hearts. We are not awaiting, we are not awaiting them from the Pope as if they do not already exist in finished form. The Pope is here to help us to believe and to do what our Lord is calling every one of us to believe, to behold, oh, uh, to believe and to do. If any human being on the face of the earth tries to stand in the way, be it even the Pope himself, we must resist him and do what we know is right. As the great Dom Prosper Granger said, when the shepherd becomes a wolf, the first duty of the flock is to defend itself. It is usual and regular, no doubt, for doctrine to descend from the bishops to the faithful, and those who are subject in the faith are not to judge their superiors. But in the treasure of Revelation, there are essential doctrines which all Christians, by the very fact that their title as such, are bound to know and defend. The principle is the same, whether it be given, whether it be a question of belief or conduct, dogma or morals. The true children of Holy Church at such times are those who walk by the light of their baptism, not the cowardly souls who under the specious pretext of submission to the powers that be delay their opposition to the enemy in the hope of receiving instructions which are neither necessary nor desirable just this man uh put his finger it. he has yeah he has his finger on the pulse listen he says all the things that we say and believe all the time because the lord is the one who is at work within us uh he is accomplishing his work in our lives as individuals, Jess. Uh, so, yes, the church has a visible head, but the Holy Spirit, the Lord himself, is the head of the church, and he is working in the lives of the individuals within the church, whether, as he says, the lowly pusiter or the, the highest person in the church. And he does this and he accomplishes this by never violating our free will. We must all work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And that st starts with the Pope and it ends with Paul Clay, you know? Yeah. Two points I want to make, Paul, that, that come, came up in the article is, again, the, the, the church has, just like Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% yep. man at the incarnation, Jesus yep. Christ is a divine person who assumed a second nature. He assumed a human nature at the incarnation, but he's yes. a divine person. He shares the essence of the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's divinity who took upon humanity. And, yes. and, and that's what we see. We see the human failings of the church because the church has a divine aspect and a human aspect. It says in the Catechism 770, the church is in history, but at the same time, she transcends it. It is only with the eyes of faith that we see the, the Catholic Church with her in her visible reality and at the same time in her spiritual reality as bearer of divine life. Then the Catechism also says that the Church is the mediator of Christ established and ever, and ever sustains here on earth His Holy Church by the one mediator, Christ. It says 
the visible society and the spiritual society is the church. The earthly church and the church endowed with heavenly riches. So you see over and over again that the church, just like our Lord and Savior, like our master, it has a human side to it and it has a, a divine side to it. The divine sides of the Catholic church are what? The dogmas, the creeds, the unchangeable doctrines, the sacraments. What's the human side of the Catholic church? Sinful men like you and I, all the way up to Pope Francis. That's the human side of the Catholic Church. And also, the, as, as the Catholics, some people will say, well, you guys, you can't criticize the Holy Father. Well, let me, let me quote to you what Vatican II says. In case somebody says, Vatican II changed that. Vatican II doesn't allow you to quote to criticize a bishop or a pope. Really? All right, paragraph 907 of Vatican II. Here's what it says, okay? It says in the CCC 907, Lay people, in accord with the knowledge, competence, and preeminence which they possess, lay people have the right, and even at times a duty, a duty, to manifest to the sacred pastors their opinion on matters which pertain to the good of the church. And lay people have a right to make their opinions known to the other Christian faithful. That's what me and Paul do on Tuesdays. We're letting other lay Catholics know about our concerns about things that are happening in the church. We're letting other lay Catholics know our concerns. It says, but of course, with due regard to the integrity of faith and morals and reverence towards their pastors. You'll, you're never going to see me and Paul Clay engaging in ad hominem, ad hominem attacks, name calling, uh, you know, uh, libel, slander, you know, detraction. All we do is put out the facts and then we ask you at the end of the show, pray for the Holy Father, pray for this certain bishop because they are going off the rails in this regard. Paul? Yeah, yeah. and just um, the church is not going to be presented as a spotless bride until the end. So in the meantime, the church, unfortunately, is riddled with spots. And until we achieve our final end and that true perfection... Uh, when church militant finally uh, and church suffering finally result in church triumphant, mm. that's when perfection comes. Until then, hey, uh, we're living in, in, in a world and in a reality that, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and the church is in the middle of it. All right, that's a wrap. EOW, end of watch. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics. As for us, we are out. See you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith.